Father God, we come before you, and those are heavy words. Those are strong words to say that we would rather have Christ and everything that comes with that, the joy and the suffering at times. We'd rather have that than anything that the world affords. And Lord, that's our prayer. We know that's not always the reality on a day-to-day basis, but Lord, that is our hope and our prayer as a church that the knowledge of what you have done for us in Jesus would cause us to live in a radically different way. And so, Lord, we pray that this afternoon as we come to your word, that your spirit would work in us to show us the truth of Scripture, to help our hearts to respond rightly to it, to apply it to our lives for your glory, for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good afternoon. It's good to be with you. If you are new to Zoe or you don't know who I am, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, we just want to welcome you and thank you for being with us. Uh, we've taken a summer break from our series through the book of First Samuel to spend a couple of months in the book of Proverbs. And what we've been doing is kind of looking at different areas of life that the Proverbs speak to to help us get better at living to help us get better at living in the world that God has created according to the rules that he has set because God is the ultimate reality. God is the one who created this all and we are living in his world. So if we listen to his word, we can get better in a lot of ways. And so we've talked about all sorts of issues about how we use our words. We've talked about uh, conflict and peace and conflict resolution. And uh, we've talked about um, all sorts of areas. But today we're talking about getting better with money. Getting better with money. Perhaps you've heard the story of King Midas. Um, Well, if your memory is kind of cloudy, because you maybe know the name, but you don't quite know the story, I'll remind you of it. Uh, Just as a caveat, this is a Greek myth, so there are some fictional characters in it and some false gods, okay? For you kids, these aren't real gods. Um, But the legend goes that Midas was the king of a city in Phrygia, which is in Asia Minor. So you might know that from your Bibles, Asia Minor. And he was a wealthy man. He was very wealthy. He had a beautiful rose garden, and he had a beautiful young daughter whose name was Zoe, which you all know means life. One day, a satyr, which is kind of like a half-man, half-horse thing, showed up in his rose garden, um, drunk, and uh, he was lost. And this satyr's name was Silenus. And Silenus was uh, a buddy of the Greek god Dionysus, who was the god of kind of whining and dining. And he shows up at King Midas's palace, and, and Midas gets him, and, and he and his court decide, we're going to take care of this satyr. So they treat him nicely. They give him good hospitality. They, they kind of party with him. And after 10 days, they go to the city of Lydia, where Dionysus, the Greek god, is hanging out. And they bring him back, his favorite satyr. And as a reward for this, Dionysus says, I'm going to give you one wish. Okay, not, not like a genie, just one wish. You have to choose wisely. And so King Midas, he, he thinks about it for a moment. And being the wealthy man that he was, he immediately thinks of more wealth. After all, his wealth was what allowed him to entertain the satyr, right? His wealth is what allowed him to have that beautiful rose garden where the satyr was fallen asleep. And so he thinks, if I could have more wealth, I could have a better life in this world. And so he asks for this one thing. He says, let everything that I touch turn to gold. Let everything that I touch turn to gold. And Dionysus grants his request. And so every branch, every tree, every stone that he touches on the journey back from Lydia to Phrygia goes from worthless to wealthy in an instant. 
Now, we'll finish up the story later. But can you imagine having the Midas touch? Now, not for gold, probably because that's not really a thing, but maybe your version of the Midas touch. Whatever stock you pick goes through the roof. Whatever program you're tasked with heading up at work instantly becomes the biggest money maker. Whatever business you start, profits just shoot up. Whatever job you choose, the raises come year after year in a steady pace. If you think about this story of King Midas, I think it's had such a long-standing impact, such a long lifespan in this world, because we can all understand, we can all see why he made that wish. The idea of having unlimited money, all the riches you need in a moment's notice, in an instant. For a lot of us, that is the dream. We wouldn't say it so crassly, we wouldn't say, well, I wish I could just have more and more and more money, but it's kind of how we live, and it's kind of how we think. And so I would imagine that when I say we're going to talk about money today, we're going to be thinking about money, it's probably not the first time you've thought about it this week. It might not even be the first time you've thought about money today. Money matters. And the Bible knows this. And that's why the Bible has so much to say about money in the whole Bible, but particularly in the book of Proverbs. As I was studying for this sermon, I read through the book of Proverbs, and I highlighted every proverb, every passage I could find that spoke specifically to how you deal with money. And I was actually surprised. I found 52 distinct passages in these 31 chapters that talk about money. That's a lot. It's a lot more than conflict that Jesse was talking about last week. (laughs) A lot of wisdom to digest. And so if we're going to tackle it this afternoon in three parts, okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to use three parts to follow um, what the Bible says about money. And then we're going to have an extended application to this in our real lives. To get better with money, we're going to see what the Bible has to say about the power of money, the peril of money, and the purpose of money in this world. Okay, so three Ps for you, if you're into alliteration. The power, the peril, and the purpose. The first thing that we need to see in the Proverbs is the power of money. The Bible is honest about life. Okay, that's one of the cool things about Scripture. It doesn't sugarcoat life. The Bible is very honest about our struggles and our failures, failures and how life works. And part of that honesty is knowing that money is, for many people, what makes the world go round. That money matters a lot. If you're going to be wise about money, you also need to be honest about this, too. You don't have this kind of fake uh, piety about not caring about money. Money isn't the most important thing. But it does affect our lives in very powerful ways. So the Proverbs tell us, if you go to Proverbs 10, verse 15, you can turn there with me, and you're going to turn around a lot. But Proverbs 10, verse 15, the Proverbs tell us that money can provide some security. Proverbs 10, 15 says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. In other words, wealth, money, possessions, they actually provide a level of security in this world. Poverty, on the other hand, results in ruin. And this is absolutely true. Poverty is something that the Bible never says is a good thing. Poverty is is difficult to escape. It causes a lot of pain in people's lives. It causes problems in, in relationships at times. It can lead to destructive patterns in life, having to decide between very difficult life choices. Not having enough money for your basic needs leads to a whole host of problems. And so on the other hand, money can provide a level of security. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. That there is a little bit of strength in money. Sometimes a lot. Now in seminary, um, I remember that 
men would come and they would give testimonies about their time while they were there. And a lot of times men who were going to seminary, they don't have a lot of money. Seminary is not the most expensive school, but a lot of these men were pastors in really small towns in, in the middle of America. And they would come to seminary with very little, oftentimes with large families because, you know, pastors, we like to have lots of kids. Um, I'm having my fourth baby tonight, by the way, if you didn't know. Um, and uh, pastors like to have a lot of kids. And so they have very little resources. And then they would give these testimonies at the end of their time in seminary. And a lot of times, and I remember one in particular, a man was sharing about how he was just in need. And they were doing everything they could. He was working all these jobs. He's trying to work at Chick-fil-A and go to seminary and, and provide for his growing family. And they just didn't have enough. And then one day, as they were praying for this, and they were hoping for help, they received an anonymous check in the mail with exactly the amount of money they needed to, to kind of write their accounts with the seminary to get things back in the black. And I remember when I heard him talk about that, I thought, man, you're a lover of money, aren't you? You just, you're so greedy. No, that's not what I thought. I knew that God was using that money to do some good in the life of this man and his family. These stories were actually common in seminary, and they were touching because money is a practical blessing. It was a boon for these families, these resources the money they received gave them security at a time when they desperately needed it. So money can provide security. It can protect you from the hardships of poverty. We also see in the Proverbs that money can affect your relationships. Proverbs 14, or sorry, Proverbs 19 and verse 4. Proverbs 19 verse 4, you can flip over and look at that. Wealth brings many new friends but a poor man is deserted by his friend, singular. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. What this proverb tells us is that having money can often lead to influence, to having people want to be near you and listen to you. Now, we have to know that the Bible doesn't say that's always a good thing, right? It's not always a good thing um, that people are drawn to money. And treating people preferentially based on their finances is a sin, according to the book of James. But the Proverbs, again, they're honest about how the world works. Poverty, constant financial need can be a strain on relationships. It says that the poor man is deserted by his singular friend. He doesn't have that many friends to begin with, but in his poverty, that one friend deserts him. This is something we see happen in the world. What the Proverbs is talking about is this truth. That if you are always in need... If you can't seem to stay afloat, if your relationship with others is characterized by a need for their financial help, there will be a strain on that relationship. And if it sounds harsh, just know it's true. And if you don't know it's true, you're being foolish. Money, not being in constant need, then, can help relationships be less rocky. It can help lead to a certain amount of peace in your friendships, it's not wise to buy friendship, but money does have an effect on relationships for the bad and for the good. What else do the Proverbs say about the power of money? Proverbs 22.7, you can turn there. Proverbs 22.7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Money can grant you freedom. Money can grant you a certain level of freedom. According to this proverb in Proverbs 22, being financially independent frees you. And we see this a lot in life. Money can, can, can give you the ability to live life as you think you ought, without needing to worry about your debt 
to someone else. And so the Bible talks about debt as a type of enslavement, where you are, in a sense, owned by another person to who you owe money. Now, the idea that money can grant freedom, that not needing to borrow money or receive money constantly from others frees you is echoed in the New Testament. It's not just Old Testament. Paul talked about this when he said in Romans, not to owe anyone anything except to love one another. Not having that that debt on you frees you to love other people. I was reading a story this past week of a young lady who grew up with a father who was extremely controlling. He controlled everything that she could do, everything she could wear, every friend she could have, everything she could watch, everything she could do, say, or hear. And this went well into her mid-20s when she was a full-grown adult. And it wasn't until she began to save money on her own secretly that she was able to eventually find a place to live and could then take the job that she wanted and live in some measure of freedom from her father's domineering personality. Now, even in less extreme situations, it's true as well. By having enough money to live and take care of your needs, you are free to live your life in the way you see best. You're free to do that. Now, we're going to talk about what the best way is, but you're free to live in the way that you think is best, to use your resources as you see fit. So money is powerful. We need to start there. It can bless you, can give you many things. It matters in this world. And this is the starting point for wisdom when it comes to money. One of the worst things that we can do is try to talk about money in the church and say, you know what, money just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. It's no big deal. Don't care about it. That's being dishonest. It's being disingenuous. It's like a preacher who tells you, don't care about your finances. Just give all your finances to me. You need money. I need money. We all need money in this world. Okay, we need to start there. Only a fool thinks otherwise. But according to the Bible, money is not all good. And money is not all good. We've seen the power of money briefly, but there are many more Proverbs that talk to the peril of money. That's the second idea today, the peril of money. If you look at the majority of the Proverbs about money, they're warnings. The majority of the Proverbs about money are warnings. Warnings about money itself, warnings about wanting to be rich, why is it dangerous? Why is money dangerous? Well, it's because money can make you proud. And money can make you proud. Proverbs twenty-eight, eleven: A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. A rich man is wise in his own eyes. When a person has a lot, when a person has more than they need, when a person gets rich in this world, there's a tendency for them to become wise in their own eyes. If you read the Proverbs, you'll know that being wise in your own eyes is the epitome of being a fool. But this is what money does to us. When we have a lot of it, we start to think highly of ourselves. And we start often to think less of others. Proverbs 18.23, the poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. In other words, the poor person treats others kindly because they know that they need other people. But the rich person answers people roughly however he wants to speak because he thinks he doesn't need anyone at all. You begin to treat people as if they have less than you because they are dumber or less important or are not worth your time. This is the danger of money, and it happens to even sometimes the best of people. I was reading a study in the LA Times last week uh, that said that there was this, this survey done of people according to whether they were wealthier or poorer, and um, they said, and this is kind of the... the Uh, the euphemism version of it, they said that wealthy people tend to experience happiness in a more self-centered way. They experience happiness in a more self-centered way. In other words, they're more selfish. This is the the statements that wealthy people were more likely to agree with, okay? 
It feels good to know that other people look up to me. I feel satisfied more often than most people. On the other hand, people with less money, poorer people who took this survey, were more likely to agree with statements that indicated compassion. They agreed with these statements. Nurturing others gives me a warm feeling inside. I develop strong emotions towards people I can rely on. I often feel in awe. Sounds kind of spiritual, doesn't it? The danger of money is that it can make us proud. And a lot of it can make you very proud. What else? Money can be a temptation. Okay, maybe this sounds obvious. Proverbs 10.2. Proverbs 10.2. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The desire for money can be a temptation to sin. Particularly in our efforts to make more money or to protect the money we have, to do what we know is wrong, to gain treasure in this world. I remember as a young man, kind of growing up around the church and in the church, being shocked to find out that there were certain people I looked up to as spiritual leaders who would lie in order to get discounts. They would, they would just lie, right? Didn't make, they would lie about ages. They would lie about their family. They would lie to get discounts that they didn't need to get. People who I'm sure would have told me in Sunday school that lying is a sin. But when money was involved, somehow the equation just changed. The Proverbs are clear that money can be a temptation, which is why there are so many Proverbs that say it is better to be poor and righteous than rich and wicked in an abundance of ways. Third reason money is perilous is that according to the Proverbs, money is fleeting. And money is fleeting. Money is here today, but can be gone tomorrow. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. The pursuit of riches, the desire to acquire more, that rat race can often be nothing more than a waste of our lives. As James talked about a few weeks back, money is not something that can bear the weight of our trust. So the Bible tells us that we should not trust in our riches, nor toil all our lives to acquire this earthly treasure that is money. It doesn't last. And even if it lasts your whole life, it won't last into eternity. So we've seen the power of money and the peril of money. Thirdly, what we need to understand if we want to get wise and better with our money is to understand what the Bible says is the purpose then of the money we have. What is the purpose of money? Go to Proverbs 30. This is near the end of the book. Proverbs 30. The beginning and end of Proverbs kind of tie the book together to, to focus it back on living in God's world. The middle chapters oftentimes have a lot of kind of uh, self-contained Proverbs, but Proverbs 30, kind of a longer proverb, um, and in verses 7 through 9, it talks about money. Two things I ask of you, and it's speaking to God. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches, Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is an interesting proverb. What it basically says is that the purpose of money is to provide for needs in this world. The purpose of money is to provide for material needs in this world. Money is a means for God to answer the prayer to give us this day our daily bread. But money isn't meant to make us have no needs whatsoever. 
Money isn't meant to fulfill our needs so much so that we no longer think we have a need for God. As the writer of Proverbs 30 says, if you have riches, you may become full and deny the Lord, fail to recognize your need for him. And if you are poor, you may find yourself tempted to sin against God and others to meet your basic needs. Lying or manipulating or cheating because of the finances. So what does the proverb suggest you should hope for? To have just enough to provide for the needs of you and your family and then others. Proverbs 13.22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Hey, there's an idea in the Bible that your money should be used for your needs and the needs of your family. First Timothy 5.8 in the New Testament Paul said, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Those are harsh words. But this is what God gives you money for. If you use your money for other things before you provide for the needs of your family, you're acting like a fool who doesn't know God. And what if you are diligent and you make enough money and you care for the needs of yourself and the needs of your family? Well, then the Proverbs say, instead of being stuffed full, you should use that extra you have to care for the needs of those outside of your family. Proverbs 22, 9. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Whoever has a rich eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. He doesn't just look to himself. He looks at the world around him, and in his riches shares his bread with those who are in need. We see this in the New Testament as well. Paul demands people to work in the New Testament church so they will not be a burden on others. And then he commends those who have a lot to willfully take up the burdens of those who cannot work. Use money wisely. Make enough for you not to burden other people, but at the same time, use what extra you have to lift up others' burdens. 1 Timothy 6. You can turn there if you want. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. We see this principle at work. Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The rich in this present age are to use the riches they have to be rich in good works, generous, and ready to share. And, you know, I looked up on our website this week um, the passages we've preached, and we preached 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, like four times. This will be the fourth time we've mentioned it in service. And you know why we did that? That's like once a year. It's because we're rich. I said it before, Collin County is the richest county in Texas by any metric. We need to hear what the Bible says to us. If you're rich in this present age, if you have more than you need to provide for your basic needs and the needs of your family, then the purpose of that extra money is for you to be generous and ready to share. At the end of this world, money won't matter anymore. So Proverbs 22.2 says, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. So what's the big picture then? Money is important but it's not the most important thing. Money can be used wisely for what truly matters, or it can be used foolishly to our destruction. And the wisdom of the Bible presents for us this view of money that's really different than what the world teaches you. If if you go and and you listen to what people say about money in this world, they treat money like a savior. They treat money like the ultimate good. But what the Bible says is refreshingly simple. 
use money to take care of your needs in this world, then use what extra you have to be generous and bless others in the best way you know how. And it's from this framework, this view of money, that we get all the practical advice that we find elsewhere in the Proverbs about how to to live out our finances on a day-to-day basis. So what follows is going to be an extended application time, okay? Uh, You thought I was finishing up super early, no. It's going to be an extended application time, just looking at how a right understanding of money affects our interaction with money in a number of areas. How we earn, how we borrow, how we save, how we spend, and how we give. Now, um, it might seem kind of like a seminar, and as a pastor, you know, I enjoy a good, like, convicting sermon where I go away feeling inspired in the moment. I imagine that you're probably not going to feel this way. You're not going to feel super inspired by the next uh, 20 minutes or so, but I hope it will be good. That if you actually apply these things, that even if you don't feel inspired in that minute, you'll be changed for the next decade, next 20 years of your life. So let's hear what scripture has to say about these very real areas of money. First, if we understand money rightly, it should affect how we earn. Okay, it should affect how we earn, how we seek to earn our money. And what the Bible says, what the Proverbs say is to earn money honestly and diligently. Get rich, quick schemes are not wise. Proverbs 21, verses 5 and 6, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Why do the Proverbs warn against getting rich quick? It's not because getting rich quick won't help you out, okay? It's not because it will make you unhappy. It turns out if you actually do your own research and go into this, people who win the lottery actually normally get happier, okay? It's not the opposite. They don't get all sad and mopey. Most people who win the lottery actually are happier because money does help out. But the pursuit of riches quickly often happens by taking advantage of others. Okay, get-rich-quick schemes often work by getting other people poor. And earning money this way or through any sinful, dishonest, unjust means is always condemned by the Lord. So whether that's just through simple lying, cheating on your taxes so that you can take home a little bit more, cheating customers in some way, lying to our employers so that we might receive what we weren't due The Bible condemns that as a way to earn money. Or whether it's through some sort of oppression, taking advantage of those who are poor to increase your wealth. Now, I hope that you're not doing that, but this happens in the world all the time. This shouldn't be the kind of business we seek to be in, to take advantage of those who have little to begin with because they have no other option than to be taken advantage of. What else? To fake it until you make it. This is something for the, the modern world that I see so often, right? These people who, who they lie about how wealthy they are so that people will give them money to learn how to be wealthy like them. You watch YouTube videos, you'll see this all the time. Someone will show up in their fancy mansion and their fancy car and say, all you have to do is sign up for my course and you can be rich like me. We need to see these things for what they are. It's not wise. We need to consider how we earn money, how we seek to gain wealth in this world, And we also need to consider how much money we're trying to earn, okay? This is kind of difficult to talk about. If you study all the scripture, you'll find that the Bible continually says that you should not want to be rich. It's just plain as day. Just read it for yourself. The Bible says you should not desire to be rich, okay? 1 Timothy 6.9, a place where Paul is extraordinarily clear about this topic, he says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation 
into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I don't know how else you can interpret that. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. It will plunge you into things that will lead to ruin and destruction, maybe not financially, but spiritually. Money and the desire to be rich in this world are dangerous. And so maybe you think, like I do, what is then the standard of richness, right? Because I don't feel that rich, so what's the standard of the Bible when it comes to desiring to be rich? How do I know if I am rich? Well, if you want to know that, just go one verse back in 1 Timothy 6, verse 8. Paul says, if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. If we have food and clothing. And Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount, that if you have stuff to wear and food and drink, that your Father in heaven is taking care of you. So what the Bible says, and this is radical and it's hard, is that if we have our basic needs met, our basic needs, so that we don't have to resort to begging or stealing, you have a place to live, you have food to eat, you have clothes to wear, and the ability to kind of prepare for a future where you're able to provide those things, then you have enough. You have enough. And at that point, if your driving desire in life is to have more and more and more then you desire to be rich. And I speak to myself as much as I speak to any of you. If your driving desire is to have more money when you already have everything you need to live in this world, then you're like the fool, Jesus says, who stored up in his bigger barn all his stuff and whose soul was required of him that night. You've missed the wisdom of the Bible on money. So it affects how we earn and it affects also how we borrow. And I'm just going to touch on this because When we talk about debt, our culture is just a debt-filled culture. And I'm not saying all debt is bad. But we need to understand what the Bible says is that debt is dangerous. If your credit score affects whether or not you live the lifestyle you live, then it might mean that you become too comfortable with living with debt in a way that's unwise. There are no hard and fast rules here, okay? There's not like good debt, bad debt. The Bible doesn't delineate that way. We don't want to be legalistic saying you can never go into debt for anything We want to stick to what the scriptures say, which is that debt is something that will exert control over you. And so it is best to avoid it if you can, if you have what you need to provide for your family. What else can we learn about debt from the Proverbs? Well, here's an extremely practical proverb, Proverbs 22, verse 26. You can turn there, Proverbs 22, verse 26 to 27. It says, Be not one of those who gives pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? What this proverb is saying is that it is unwise to put at risk the things you need in pursuit of the things you want. Don't put up as security for a debt your basic needs so that your bed is taken from under you. And this could apply in a number of ways. And again, uh, someone asked me actually last week, is there something that you most... Uh, dislike speaking about as a pastor. I said, no, I like preaching about everything. And then this week I was like, you know what it is? It's money. I don't want to talk about that because it's practical. Biblically speaking, it's not wise. I'm not saying it's a sin. It's not wise to take out a loan on your house in order to borrow money to remodel it. I know that might be a very offensive thing to say. God isn't saying that he hates someone who borrows, but the Bible wants to give us freedom. You have what you need need to understand that going into debt for what you want isn't worth it. 
to know the joy of not living with the fear that your bed or your house might be taken from under you because you can't repay your debts is something that God wants for you. It's a joy. If you understand God's purposes for money, it will help you avoid unnecessary risk and losses by not putting at risk what you need just to get something you want. Money is meant to provide for your needs and the needs of others. So, it's unwise to jeopardize your basic needs so you can have a nicer vacation, a nicer car, a nicer home, a nicer anything. You do have freedom in how you spend your money, but remember the power and the peril and the purpose of money as you do. This leads to the third practical money area. If we understand money wisely, it should affect how we save. It should affect how you save. Now, even though we aren't supposed to be rich, the Bible does, in fact, tell us that it's good to save money, okay? Proverbs 27, verses 23 to 27 says, Know well the condition of your flocks, and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations? When the grass is gone, and the new growth appears, and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing, and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and the maintenance for your girls. Okay, so this is like ancient Israel time. It sounds weird. Basically what it's saying is that if you know what you have, you take care of the things that you have, and you prepare for the future, then you'll be ready for times of famine. You'll be ready for times when things aren't as blessed as they are now. It's good to have a handle on your finances and to save for the unexpected. So one practical area for a lot of us who've kind of grown up in a world where money, we let cash the society, right? We don't even think about money. We don't even, my kids are always like, just use your credit card, right? I want to go buy something. I said, we don't have the money. They're like, yeah, you do. Just use the credit card. No, we actually have to have the money behind it. If you don't know how much you make, if you don't know how much you spend, if you don't know how much you save, where your money is, then you're being foolish. Hey, the Bible says that you should be wise and know those things. Proverbs thirteen eleven, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. The principle is that you need to be spending less than you are earning. You ought to be spending less than you are earning. And this flows from the idea that your finances have power to give you a measure of security in this world. By saving, little by little, you can be ready for a rainy day to provide for yourself when unexpected things happen. Well, how do you do it, okay? Like, how are you supposed to do this? Know how much you spend, know how much you make, and make changes so that you can start to gather just little by little. It doesn't have to be a big thing. You can start very small. Some people call this living on the margin, which basically means live within your means so that you have enough to save for the future. There are a lot of ways you can do that. I mean, you can ask someone about it. There are a lot of, like, automated saving things. I'm not going to go into that. But know that this principle is found throughout Scripture. Joseph, when he went to Egypt and he had those dreams, he used this principle to become the greatest or second greatest man in Egypt, right? To save up in the years of blessing so they would have enough in the years of famine. And whether you're talking about personal resources or how we run the church or how you manage a company or anything like that, there's wisdom in this for us. When I came out of college, I got a job um, with a, a small company, and the housing crisis happened kind of right after I got that job. So it was 2008. We had a housing crisis, and my boss 
uh, of this small company with relatively, um, you know, humble revenues. Uh, she was a Christian, and she operated the company by these biblical principles of saving diligently, slowly, and surely in the time of plenty. And over those two years that I was at the company, even though our sales were down and everything was kind of worse, we didn't lay off anyone. And I saw people get losing their jobs all over the place. I saw people uh, being laid off and losing their homes. And yet this small company, because they had followed this path, was able to keep every employee employed for those two years until things started to turn around. A wise person knows that unexpected things will happen. I mean, just look at the past year. <laughs> if you didn't know, uh, we had a shutdown. And um, I would read these interviews with businesses. And it would be one week, literally one week after the shutdowns happened, and they'd be like, we had to lay everyone off. We had to shut the doors, close the lights, because we didn't have enough to pay the bills. Now, I understand we can't all remain closed, of course. But the Bible says it is wise to save. And how many lives would have been blessed by people who heeded that sort of wisdom and how they ran their businesses and how they ran their lives? We need to save diligently, little by little, making sure we are prepared to meet our needs, even if our circumstances change. Fourthly, fourth practical area, it will affect how we spend. The Proverbs have wisdom about how to spend your money. As you think about this, we have to acknowledge that we can be wasteful in our spending. Proverbs twenty-one seventeen. Proverbs 21, 17, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. What is this proverb talking about? Financial difficulty can be furthered by the lifestyle choices we make. A person who spends on all his pleasures and withholds from himself no luxury will have a hard time with money. Now, um, I want to be clear here that your lifestyle is not the reason why one person is like a billionaire and another person is in abject poverty. Okay, I'm not blaming poverty on just people's lifestyle. That's not what the Bible says. It's a difficult thing. Sometimes we know that it's incredibly hard to escape if you've been raised a certain way with money and with little. But here's what the Bible is saying. You can still have more wisdom about how you spend, no matter how much you make. You can have more wisdom in this area. But the way you choose to spend can be the difference between two people who make the exact same amount of money, who have the same uh, lifestyle to, to, or who have the same income, where one person has financial peace and the other has anxiety over bills each and every month, the way you choose to spend can be that difference. And you have to be wise enough and humble enough to examine how you spend because it's really hard to do. It's hard to look at that and make changes. If you have been in a financially unstable place, you should be careful in how you spend the money you do make. Okay, so, so, I mean, I remember there was one um, friend I had who was struggling with finances for a long time, and we were trying to help him out. And at the end of that, um, he kind of had one good thing happen, and the first thing he did was go and buy a motorcycle. First decision, because things are finally turning around. And the end of the story is they didn't turn around, but you get the picture. Proverbs twenty four twenty seven says, Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. In other words, get your finances in order so you can provide for your needs without debt before you start to splurge on other things. Do things in priority. The Proverbs show us that it is wise to know you don't need the nicest things in life. And this is, like, this is really uncomfortable, right? Where do you draw the line? 
Obviously, people in the Bible had oil. Okay, so think about this. People in the Bible had wine and oil. But Proverbs says if someone spends everything on wine and oil, he's going to be poor. But there were people in the Bible with wine and oil. Remember that one lady who had that really expensive perfume and she put it on Jesus' feet? And Jesus wasn't like, oh man, what's wrong with you? He, he, he praised her for it. And so there is there's kind of a gray area here. Can you spend money on the nice things in life? Yeah, you can. Are you allowed to buy the name brand seltzer water? Not in our home, but yeah, you can buy Topo Chico if you want, okay? Understand that these are principles, not laws. And if you have developed a wise way of handling money, if you've kind of applied the wisdom of God to your finances, then you do have freedom to spend on some luxuries in life. But that spending on luxuries should come last. It should come last. If your relationship with money is first of all about using it to enjoy the good things in life, instead of managing it and stewarding it in wise ways, then you probably will make foolish decisions. Buying things you don't need. Things that leave you in debt, unable to save for your future. Having subscriptions and memberships and payment plans at the expense of being able to give generously to those around you. And this leads us to the last and maybe the most important practical point. A wise, biblical, better view of money will affect how you give. Will affect how you give. One of the hallmarks of someone who understands biblical truth on money is that they desire to give. Proverbs say if we understand the power and the peril and the purpose of money, we should want to give generously to the Lord and we should want to give generously to others. And this makes so much sense if you think about it. If having too little money causes problems, but having too much is a danger, then if you have more than you need, it's your joy to give it away to others. On the one hand, you can give it to the Lord. You can. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. So the Bible encourages using your money, the best of what you have, to honor the Lord, to use it for his purposes. Now, we need to understand the reason for this. It's not just so that the pastors can get rich. The reason why it says honor the Lord with your finances is because we are living in God's world. This is the beginning of wisdom. Everything you have literally comes from him. Anything that you have is because of God. Your ability to earn, the brain you use, the skills that you've learned, all that is due to God. And so honoring him with your money helps you acknowledge where all of this comes from. It keeps you humble in the right way. The Old Testament Israelites had a system of tithing where they gave to the religious system. We don't have that today. Okay, so how can you give to the Lord? You can give to the church. You don't have to. You can give to missionaries. You can give to organizations who are working to spread the kingdom of God and the gospel. You can invest in the work of sharing the good news of Jesus. That will honor the Lord with your wealth. So give to the Lord. On the other hand, the Bible says you should give to others. Proverbs eleven twenty four. Proverbs eleven twenty four. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. What God desires of his people is that we be generous towards others, that we give and we receive generously and wisely. Proverbs nineteen seventeen. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. It's incredible, right? Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. 
These Proverbs tell us that God loves generosity. The New Testament says it too. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Using your money generously pays dividends spiritually in your life. It leads to peace. It leads to relationships. It leads to not not being controlled by money. It leads to blessing. It leads to God's pleasure. What does that mean? It means as a Christian, as a Christian, when you see someone in need, when you see someone who is poor, when you see someone who is hurting financially, it should be your desire to help them. There's a lot of caveats you might want to make about that. Does it mean that every person at the stoplight, I got to roll down my window and help them? Again, these aren't laws. I can't tell you what you have to do at every stoplight. All I can tell you is you should want to help those who are in need. You should want to be generous. If it will cause you to be a financial burden on others, then probably not. But if you have more than you need, then generosity is beyond good in the Lord's eyes. To be generous is better than to be stingy. To give freely is better than to hold tightly. The Lord Jesus himself said it is better to give than to receive. I'm not a perfect pastor by any means or a perfect person. And I I often find myself greedy and stingy and selfish in many ways. But I was impressed in, in my young age by hearing this very famous pastor, a pastor who has a lot of resources, I think, who said quite bluntly that because of what the Bible teaches about generosity and because he has more than he needs, when he hears of any need, he tries to help. And I was shocked, okay, because this pastor is not the person I normally think of right away when I think about someone who just wants to help everyone in need. But he, he was saying this, and when he said it, I was like, is that true? And then I knew someone who went to his church. And this person one time, and, and again, this is a huge church. He doesn't know this kid. He was a college student. He went, and he asked this pastor for financial help, and the pastor just helped him right there. Then and there, in that moment, he heard of a need, and he helped him. And it impacted me so greatly because I saw that this was a person who believed the word of God and lived it out. When someone says they are in need, try to give. If you hear of someone's financial problems, try to help. If someone loses a job or needs help with a payment or can't afford a basic need, try to give, not expecting anything in return other than the good pleasure of the Lord. Not worrying about whether you will be taken advantage of, not wanting to to make sure things are fair, but wanting to be like God who gives generously to those who are good and evil. We don't always do it. And I don't do it perfectly. But as a church, we can grow in doing it better. And I can honestly say that in applying this wisdom of generosity in the life of our family, we have been blessed. We've always had what we need. God has supplied all our needs richly, and he has allowed us to be blessed by helping others and being helped in return. Another pastor I greatly respect, one I know personally, told me, and again, you don't want to brag about these things. You don't want to brag, so I'll brag for him, okay? He said his family budgeted a separate bank account just to be generous. That when the the money that they were receiving from the church grew, when he got raises, they budgeted extra money into this bank account so that they could freely give that money to whoever needed it, not having to worry about how it would affect their bottom line, not having to worry about how it would affect their basic needs. They had all they needed. They were taking care of their family. They put this money aside so that they could give it to anyone who was in need. Be generous with one another. 
Be generous with those who don't deserve it. Be generous with strangers. The Bible says you will be blessed. When you lend to others, don't expect to receive anything back. For as the Lord said in Luke 6, if you do that, you're being just like the Gentiles, the pagans who don't know God. If you want to be like God, be extremely generous. If we are to get better with money, consider how you earn, how you borrow, how you save, how you spend, and how you give. As a church, we want to apply this to our lives and how we use our resources, not just for the good of this church, but to honor God by how we take care of each other here and even those in the community around us. If we're to get better with money, think about these things and if needed, make some changes even today. And the story of King Midas, kind of wrapping things up, the golden touch, if you didn't know, turned out to be not so golden after all. It wasn't a blessing. Upon arriving home with his uh, hoard of new golden objects, the king told his servants to prepare a splendid feast for him, to spare no expense because he could pay for it all in order to celebrate this blessing. But when he sat down to eat his food and he reached out to touch the grapes, they turned to solid gold and he couldn't eat them. And when the lips touched the wine... It turned to solid gold as well. And when he was exhausted and starving and he went to retire in his bed, he laid down in his pillows and his blankets turned to gold and he found no comfort there. And as he kind of understood in his horror what was happening, he began to cry and to curse the gift that he had asked for. And his beloved daughter Zoe came and seeing her father crying, she hugged him. And of course, you know the story. It turned her into a statue of gold. And the gift had become a curse. His love for riches had led to the loss of all he held dear, the loss of life itself. And the moral of the story, of course, is simple, that there are some things that are more valuable than gold. And that's really where we need to end today. The Proverbs tell us as a whole, they tell us how to deal with money, because as important as it is, there are many things the wise understand are more valuable. Other people, wisdom, righteousness, God, eternity. And so the only way we can be freed from thinking about money in the way the world does is by receiving the wisdom that comes from above to put money in its rightful place, not as a master in our lives, but as a tool used wisely for God. As Christians, we want to do our best to think about how Jesus and the good news of the gospel affects everything that we learn and teach about. So how do biblical principles about money tie into the gospel? Right? That seems like maybe it's kind of hard. I would suggest this, that the gospel more than any other thing is what can truly free us to see and use our money rightly. See, when Jesus came to the earth, if you didn't know, the Bible says he came poor. He came with nothing. And he lived with nothing. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a place to rest his head. He was literally a homeless guy. When Jesus came to earth, he, he, he died with nothing. The, the, the clothes on his back being auctioned away. And then he rose again and ascended to glory. So that we might see and believe that in God, we can actually have everything we need. The freedom from wanting to be rich in this world, from being controlled by money, it is made possible for those who have faith 
who have received the unsearchable riches of Jesus, who see how precious he is and how precious is the gift that he offers to us freely of salvation. See, because of the gospel, we have everything, everything of eternal value in Jesus. Do you know that? We have a heavenly home. We have forgiveness for our sins. We have fellowship with one another. We have a relationship with God. And guess what? It won't cost you one cent. Do you believe it? It won't cost you one single dollar. If you actually believe that, then you are free. To use your dollars to meet the needs that you have in this world, to use your resources to help others meet their needs by providing jobs, by spending wisely, by giving away, to give your money without greed or anxiety or fear of what might happen, to give it to those who need it, storing up treasures for yourself in heaven. If you believe the gospel, you are free to be better and to be wiser with your money. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we ask for your help. That your Holy Spirit would transform us. So easy for us to live in the way that the world raises us to live, viewing money as the means to build our kingdoms, to seek our glory, to have our will be done. Here, Lord, would you just confront us with the, the reality, the, the reality that when you sent your Son enthroned in heaven, when you sent him to live on this earth, he was penniless. And he was poor. He had nothing. He lived by the generosity of the people around him. It's an incredible thing to think that, that you would humble yourself, Christ, and do that. And we pray that that reality would cause us to, even in this moment, just start and admit that maybe the way we think about money isn't quite right. And maybe we need your wisdom that maybe we need you, we need the Holy Spirit to help us to use our money better. God, we know that only you can do that. And I pray that we as a church would, would seek that and we would experience it together. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.